I was thinking about it this week leading up to, to Sunday, and, and I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, some of you have had a tough week, and, and some of you have circumstances you're going back to tomorrow at home, at work, at school, wherever they may be, and, and church for you, just coming to church is just the highlight of your week, and I don't say that because of anything that you get to hear from me, because maybe for you it's just the only hour of sleep that you get all week, I don't know, um, but you know, that's why I don't yell and scream, because I, I figure, you know, maybe maybe you need to sleep, I don't know, but anyway, but, but honestly, isn't it true that sometimes it's just so good to be in church with your church family, with your friends, with people that you know, you know, the encounter that you're going to have here, for the most part, somebody's going to smile at you, for the most part. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to have encounters with people that, that are friendly, and, and I realize that not all of you are friends, you know, in, in East Callaway County, all of you are related, and so that makes problems, right? Families can have problems, because everybody here is related in some way, that's just the way that it is. And so some of you have some, some lingering issues you need to take care of from old things that have gone by, but anyway, for the most part... It's a friendly environment, and it's a place that you know you can come and sort of take a break from things. And maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons you enjoy going to church each Sunday morning, and I know I do. Uh, it, it's always encouraging to gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and, and be here today, surrounded by people who love you or at least act like they do, and they, you know, they, they give you an environment uh, to kind of take a break. Uh, being, being with the church, of course, is not something that we do every single day in this capacity, though I would say that if you are encouraged by the folks that you're around in church, I would highly encourage you to interact with them more so than just on Sunday morning. Uh, and, and I don't mean that we need to create a little bubble and we never get out of it, but I, I, I do think when, when the book of Acts tells us that the church was daily getting together, meeting in each other's homes and so on, that was a real thing. They daily got together. They daily communicated. And so one of the best ways, of course, and this is just a little plug for small groups and trying to get involved with whether it's a Sunday school ministry or whether it's one of our small groups that meets another time, that if you want to truly be connected and truly be encouraged here at Elm Grove, I promise you that is the best way to do it. You are certainly welcome to come here and never attend one of those. But if you truly want to interact and, and have some connections with folks at that is the best way to do it. But anyway, uh, it, it's tough sometimes during the middle of the week when you're not connected with the same folks. Uh, the, the church, I believe the, the, the book of Acts shows us, the church gathers for worship, gathers to engage, as our, as our little mission statement says, to engage in relationship with God and others. The church gathers to be, war, to, to be equipped for life and service. And then we are scattered. We leave here to go and, and be on mission to evangelize the lost locally and globally. And so as you leave today and you say, well, I'm so glad to have a break from that at home, from that at work, from that at school, whatever, guess what? You are leaving today to go right back to that, whether it's this afternoon or tomorrow morning or sometime this week. And my hope and my prayer and my encouragement to you is to leave today with a completely different mindset. Because I really believe that where you are is exactly where God has sent you to be. And maybe you've never thought of it that way. Because maybe you've done everything you can to get out of where you are. Now, if you have questions about, now, should I stay in this situation? Come and talk to me, because I'm not talking about extreme circumstances where, where obviously there needs to be a break from so on. So don't read that in, what I'm saying. But at the same time, some of us say, well, you know, I, I, if I could just around Christian people all the time, then everything would be great. Listen, I've worked with all Christian people for the last 15 years. 
I'm, I, did I just look at you? Okay. They're not all perfect. <laughs> I'm looking at Clint again. I keep doing that. Listen, I, I have, I, I, I've been working full-time in the church for, for over 15 years. Over 10 here. And so my interactions are, are primarily with all Christian people here at the church. And I can tell you that just because you work with all Christian people, that doesn't make everything perfect. Some of you work in environments where it's supposedly a Christian environment. I've talked with people recently about that. It's supposed to be based on Christian principles here. This is what we say we believe. And then you see stuff and you think, what on earth? Isn't that the way it is? So, so not just escaping that is, I suppose, the best option. Some of us don't want it to be the case that we truly are sent on mission to where we are because it makes us uncomfortable. We'd rather not be there. Uh, some of us can't wait for work or school or whatever we're doing, that trip to Walmart, whatever it is, to be over so we can just get away from those people. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, truly a believer in him, fully surrendered to him, and with breath in your lungs, if those two things are true about you, then you are and I am a missionary everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. You don't have to be overseas as we saw in the video. I am a missionary. I am God's ambassador. First and foremost in my home, then in this church, then in this community, then with the baseball teams that I coach and with the players and coaches that I interact with online, I am a missionary sent there. And you are the same way. And if that's the case, then we've got to start seeing it that way. It's, it's often true, and maybe you'd agree with this, it's often true that we do not view ourselves as missionaries but combatants. We are gladiators. We are warriors against this world. Jesus fought the battle for us, by the way. The battle has been fought. The battle has been won. It was won by Jesus doing what? Dying on the cross. Do you see how the battle was won? We don't have to fight the battle. The battle has been won. We simply need to live out the mission of Jesus Christ. And so anyway, we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. All right, so there's your free sermon up front, but that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about. The first and the greatest Christian missionary is a guy whose story we began to see unfold last week when we looked at Saul, who he was known as originally, uh, seeing his life changed on the road to Damascus. That's what we saw last week. If you were with us, you remember that. If not, there's a guy named Saul who was a Pharisee, a church leader, if, if you, well, not a church leader, but a religious leader. And, and he met Jesus in a very miraculous fashion as he was traveling on a road to Damascus, Syria, and, he, and he's knocked down, blinded, and Jesus changes his life. And then from there, and from that point on to the rest of his life, he is a missionary. Everywhere he goes, he wants people to encounter the same Jesus that he had encountered. And his example, just so you know, his example is not the exception for Christians. His example is the rule. His example is not, well, Paul was special. Paul wasn't special. Paul, as he said, was the chief, the worst of all sinners. There's nothing special about him. He would even say it, that, that he's, he's nothing in particular. He had some credentials and so on, but they were all the wrong things. Paul recognized he was nothing special. It was only Jesus changing his life and setting him on course for what he did that made his ministry in any way special. He was no superhuman. He's just like you and me. So his life, his example is the exception 
Excuse me, not the exception, but the rule. Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go and make disciples. Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. That's the rule for all of us. Maybe you've never thought of it that way. I don't know. But we, you and I, we are missionaries to where God has sent us. If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, Acts over the New Testament. I tell you every Sunday, if you're not familiar with the Bible, don't let that stop you this morning. Turn, turn. there's a Bible there in your pew, in the chair in front of you. Bible's divided into two parts, Old Testament's toward the front, New Testament's toward the back. The book of Acts, chapter 16 is where we'll be this morning. In this chapter, Paul shows us what all missionaries know. What it really means to have the heart of a missionary as we go out from this place. And so since you and I are missionaries... Here's a little bit of training this morning for what we're going to face. I want to read the first few verses, and then we'll kind of break this down as, as we go forward. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, it, it says, uh, Paul, we'll kind of pick it up when Paul's about to start another missionary trip, so to speak. He went to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, a son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were there in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and were increased in number daily. Then verse 6, then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the province of Asia. When they came to Mysia, they, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not allow them. So passing Mysia, they went to Troas. During During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize there. And so what you see here in the first couple of verses, verses 1 through 3, is Paul and his company here preparing for ministry. They're getting things ready. They've got some things they've got to square away. They get ready. Then in verses 4 and 5, You see there the churches are strengthened. There's a lot of productive ministry that's going on. Things are happening. It's really exciting. Verses 6 through 8, they're prohibited from doing ministry. The Holy Spirit says, nope, you're not going there. They go to this place, and then, well, obviously God is not calling us here, so we're going somewhere else and so on. And then verses 9 and 10, Paul has a vision. And so we have this predicted ministry Paul's about to do. If you didn't catch any of that stuff, that was outstanding, just so you know. That was really Baptist. We went just, I got to throw this in. Clint appreciates this. We went from preparing for ministry, you getting this? To productive ministry, to prohibited ministry, to predicted ministry. None of that's even on the outline. I'm just joking. You guys, come on. Relax a little bit this morning. Have a little fun in church, all right? I had some fun kind of coming up with those. How do you throw that in see if anybody notices? Nobody noticed. I'm really upset. Nobody's paying attention this morning. All right. Anyway, so Paul's got this vision that he's going to do ministry in Macedonia. Brand new place. It's going to be really exciting. And so he begins to set out and he's going to follow the Lord. Now, now when you think of getting excited about reaching people and doing ministry and, and how things are going to go, you know, you, you kind of feel probably like Paul did. Man, this is, this is awesome. I feel like God is really sending me, calling me toward this. I wonder exactly what they expected. We don't, we don't get that. They just took off. Now, I will tell you my own expectations of ministry have been very different from the reality of ministry. I, I started ministry as a youth minister. 
as a youth pastor. And youth ministry is awesome. I'm just going to tell you. Kids are, they're honest and they, 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 you know, they will tell you what, whatever's on their mind. They, they open up to you. Uh, they, Lots of fun. It's it's really it's exciting. It, it, it's you can tell always that you're making an impact. And then I became a pastor, and nobody pays attention to what you're saying. <laughs> You know, it's just so different. I didn't anticipate some of the things that would come my way and different decisions you'd have to make and things you'd deal with and so on. I didn't know what ministry was going to be like. I had a vision to say, you know what, this is what I believe God is calling me to, but I really didn't know. And maybe you today, you say, you know what, yeah, I, I want to minister to, I want to help, I want to reach the people that are in my life and you've got some exciting thing that it's going to be and everything's going to be perfect and everybody's going to receive you just great and they're all going to say, oh, we're so glad that we've got a great Christian here in our midst and so on. And that's not the way it is, is it? That's not the way it goes. I wonder what Paul and these guys expected. But regardless of that, they went. And that was the way they'd always done things. God said, do this. And so they did it. God said, don't go there. They didn't go there. God said, go this way. They went that way. God said, hold on for a second and get ready and prepare. And so they held on and they got ready and they prepared. Whatever it was that God told them to do, they did. And instead of becoming frustrated, as you see there in verses 6 through 10, with his plans all over the place. Well, we're going to go this way. No, you're not. Well, how about over here? Nope. Well, God, what what do you want to do? Go to Macedonia. And he showed up in a dream. But Paul, regardless of any frustration that might have come from the changing of plans, they just were simply obedient. And he gives us, I think, as, as chapter 16 unfolds, Three lessons that show what the heart of a missionary is all about, what all missionaries know. The first is that every encounter is a divine appointment. Every encounter is a divine appointment. Look at verse 11. Setting sail from Troas, we ran straight, a straight course to Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, which is a leading city in that district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for a number of days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we thought there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now stop there. Every encounter is a divine appointment. Paul and his team, they set out. Not really knowing what they're going to experience, but Paul goes to the city of Philippi in the region of Macedonia. Philippi was the, the leading city in that particular area. And just as a matter of, of historical uh, curiosity, I suppose, Philippi is where uh, it was, I guess, Mark Antony uh, and Octavian, who later became Augustus, uh, Caesar Augustus, they defeated Brutus and Cassius, who had murdered Julius Caesar. They defeated them at Philippi uh, a few decades before this. So anyway, just kind of that's where Philippi is. And, and Paul enters the town, and as was his custom, he would typically go to the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, and he'd try to find uh, some people there and so on. But he has to go outside the city gate. You see that? And he tries to find this place of prayer. Do you know what that meant? That there weren't at least 10 Jewish men in the city. That's what it took to form a synagogue. And so Paul shows up ready to do ministry and he can't find anybody to do ministry with. 
He has to go outside the city, and he hunts around, asks around, finds this place where, where there's a place of prayer. And, and ladies, hear me for just a second. I don't mean this in a bad way, but Paul was probably expecting to find a thriving synagogue led by strong Jewish men. And he finds instead a group of women who are praying. Now you, you think about how different that would have been in that society. That's no insult. That's just, whoa, hold on a second. This is going to be way different from what we anticipated. Now let me pause there for just a second and say praise God for the women in our lives and in our churches who pray, who read the scripture, who lead spiritually. Because the truth be told, some of us would not be here today without those women in our lives. Some of us would be far different people without those women in our lives. I've been privileged to have women in my life, my mother in particular, who shared with me the scripture from a very early age and taught those things to me and so on. And so praise God for that. And yet Paul encounters something here that he's not anticipating. He's going to have an encounter with someone that he's not particularly thinking he will have an encounter with. And guess what happens? Paul just goes with it. Paul just says, all right, here's who God wants us to minister to today. This encounter is not random. This encounter is not disappointing. This encounter doesn't shut down any of the ministry that we want to do. Instead, it's a divine appointment. And you know what happens? This lady, Lydia, and her entire household, they get saved that day. They fully surrender to the Lord. They show that through their baptism. And just as a, as a matter of note, that is always the first commandment after salvation is be saved and be baptized. And so if you haven't ever done that, I'd love to talk with you about that. But anyway, this is person number one who's impacted by this heart of a missionary. That Paul, instead of being disappointed, instead of being frustrated, instead of saying, well, God, I ain't know, I don't know what... He just says, here's a lady who needs to hear the truth, and he presents it to her, a divine appointment, and she and her entire family come to faith in Jesus Christ. And folks, the same is true for you and for me. There is no random encounter that we have. We do not have random encounters. There is no such thing as coincidence. Not in God's economy. There is no such thing as you standing behind a person in line at Walmart and just encountering another ordinary person. There are no ordinary people. Every person is created in the image of God, and every person is someone that Jesus has died for, and every person is someone who needs to come to faith in Jesus Christ. There are no ordinary encounters. Every encounter is a divine appointment. When you have that, that experience tomorrow, or at lunch today, and you think, what? It's not random. It's a divine appointment. Start thinking that way. God will begin to change your heart and so on. Now, just so you know, I'm going to switch up two and three, okay? So it's going to go on your paper. Now, this is really going to mess with some of you. You have to cut and paste later on, okay? But it, I'm going next to number three, but it's going to show up on the screen as number two. You good? Okay. All right. Devin, are you ready? Go ahead and put it up there. Just let them kind of get used to it for a second. Okay. You see it? It's number three on your bulletin. I think. Every circumstance is a ministry invitation. Look at verse 16. Once, as we were going on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction and made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men are, are the slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. 
But Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out right away. Now you can see this experience, this little encounter here is very different from the first one. These guys now, instead of finding a welcome audience, find this girl who is a slave who has been demon-possessed with a spirit that can predict the future or at least tell things the way they are, and she's calling things out. Now you say, well, well, she's speaking the truth, isn't she? Well, yeah, I guess she really is. These are slaves of the Most High God, and they are proclaiming the way of salvation. Paul at first doesn't do anything about it. I mean, picture yourself. They're just trying to go to prayer. I mean, they're trying to go to church. And here's this girl who just keeps screaming to everybody that these guys are slaves of the Most High God and they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. What's there to be irritated about other than she's sort of like bullhorn guy on the corner? Okay, well, you know, whatever. Paul gets aggravated after a couple of days. We're not told exactly why, but I wonder maybe if he, if it, if, if he finally deduces, he begins to understand, she's not doing this for any other reason than she is demon-possessed. And, and, and there's something that she needs to be delivered from. And so Paul is in a circumstance that is very difficult to deal with. And yet, how does he view it? As a ministry invitation. There's something that this girl needs, and Paul is not aggravated, it seems, with her. He's aggravated with the spirit that has possessed her. And so what does he do? He turns to the spirit and says, get out in the name of Jesus. And so there's an exorcism right there on the spot. And the spirit, this demon spirit, leaves her. Her life is forever changed because there was a missionary who said, I'm not simply going to be annoyed with you, but we're going to try to fix the problem and we're going to present Jesus to this situation. There's a ministry invitation in every circumstance. Who does that girl represent in your life? Think about it. Who are the folks that, whether it's their fault or not, annoy you to no end? Don't look around. <laughs> who who are the folks who, who who make life not so fun? Who who you just can't please just stop. Just stop doing what you're doing. In this case, Paul was just annoyed. In your case, it may be beyond that. You may be dealing with it for years. Who who is it? that you have simply been annoyed with and just tried to get away from. And Paul here shows us that every circumstance is a ministry invitation. What if, what if that person at work that you sit next to, that you viewed them as a ministry invitation as opposed to a simple or very large annoyance? What if those people that you just, uh, everything about them, you're OCD and they're not, or vice versa. And so you just clash all the time. What about those people who don't drive the way that they should, which means they just drive differently from how you do, right? And so what if those people, what if those people were a ministry invitation? I, I just wonder how things would change. If we view ourselves as missionaries, in every circumstance, even those, there is a ministry invitation. There's an opportunity to bring Jesus to that situation because you never know, hear me on this, you never know what somebody's going through. You never know what's happened in somebody's life. You think you do. Well, they're just annoying. Well, maybe they are. Why? 
What's happened in their life? You know what? They, they just, they're negative all the time. They just, they run their mouth all the time. Why? Well, it's just the way they are. Maybe. But what if there's a ministry invitation? What if God has strategically placed you right there because you're the believer in Christ and you're the one who can minister to that person? The third lesson is this. Every injustice, that's number two on your paper, don't forget. Every injustice is a gospel, it should say, instead of invitation. See how I messed it up. It should say opportunity. All right? Now, I will tell you this, that appointment, invitation, and opportunity are all synonyms, so it all means the same thing. But it's opportunity. Every injustice is a gospel opportunity. Look in verse 19. Don't pack up just yet. Verse 19, when her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us Romans to adopt or practice. Then the mob joined in and attacked them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stock. Stop there. You can see how this would cause a problem for those slave owners. This girl provided for them a very lucrative business. She could tell the future. Have you seen Back to the Future? Seen that? I guess what is it in? Is it in the first one or the second one? I forget when Biff gets a hold of the from 2015 or what are the almanac and he began to be you know he can predict the future now is it am i that old for some of you anyway thank you it's a yeah it's the first one thank you okay i'm getting confused first one thank you drew thanks oh that's right yeah that's it i thought that was the third one okay well regardless in in one of the back to the future trilogy movies biff gets the opportunity to predict the future and he makes a killing Later on, 30 years down the road, he is the richest guy around because he could predict the future. You get the idea. If you know what's coming and you can tell people what's going to happen, they'll pay you big bucks to figure that out. And so these folks obviously say, whoa, hold on just a second. Interestingly enough, by the way, they didn't care about this girl at all. Just what she could do for them. And what she was doing for them, which was making them a ton of money. And so when Paul addresses the situation with, with Jesus and casts this demon, guess what? Jesus and Paul, now they ain't very popular. In fact, they are seized and they are dragged into town and thrown down before the authorities. And eventually they are stripped of their clothes, they're beaten and they're thrown in jail. But not just in jail, they're thrown into the innermost part of the jail and their feet are put in stocks, which means, and they had different holes in the stocks, that they are sitting with their legs spread as far apart as they can and they're sitting like that all night long. Now how would you respond to that sort of injustice? All you're doing is trying to help. I mean, you just know that without Jesus, people are lost, and you say something about it, and, and, and you get into big-time trouble. Big-time trouble. Because in our world, we're so politically correct, right? We're so tolerant of everybody, except when somebody says something about this, right? About Jesus. Well, we ain't tolerant of that. Well, you're really tolerant. But then the way it goes. You may not be thrown in prison. Your feet may not literally be put in stocks, but guess what? Now you're shamed, and now they're, they're, you know, you're a problem now. There's injustice that happens. All I'm trying to do is do what's right, and that's what these guys were doing. How would you respond? I'd complain a lot. I'll just tell you. 
I would complain. This is wrong. Can't do this to me. I'm an American for crying out loud. Can't do this. About midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were screaming and yelling and complaining, tweeting, (laughs) posting their status on Instagram. Look at this. It's ridiculous. So dark you can't even see it. They just posted dark pictures. It's all one. <laughs> they were praying and singing hymns to God. And guess what? The prisoners were listening. I told you earlier how songs sometimes can do things to us. I, I think if you're going through a difficult time, here here is path number one. How do I get through this? Listen, there's no way around it, by the way. There's a way through it, though. How do I get through this? Sing. But I don't sing. Sing. Even the dudes. Sing. Praise God. I don't feel like praising God. I don't care. There's a song, and where's, where's Danny? He said, Danny, you, we've talked about this song before, the Praise the Lord song. You know, we talked about that. The chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. We're going to do that song at some point. And I appreciate Danny working on things like that. There's a song, old song, that I remember when I was a kid. And, and, and not long ago, it just came to my mind. I was frustrated and dealing with some different things, and I just began to play that song. And in those moments, it just did something. It just changed, it changed my perspective. It lifted my eyes. It began to take my eyes off of the situation, turn my eyes upon Jesus, as the song says. If you're in the middle of something, sing. Sing. Let the Lord minister to you through song. There they sit in prison, in the stocks, but they're in prayer and they're praising God, singing hymns. And then something happens. Suddenly, verse 26, there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. Time to run. If you're, if I may, let's go. Praise God, he just showed up and now we're free. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself. This guy was likely, by the way, a a retired Roman soldier. The only honorable thing here to do is to commit suicide. was it, to kill himself. Because he knows what's going to happen. He says, okay, this this is it. And since since he thought the prisoners had escaped, but look look at verse 28. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, because all of us are here. Who's all of us? All the prisoners. All of them. It's not just Paul and Silas. Everybody. Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now we've got some folks here that are associated with law enforcement in the jail. If this were to happen, how many of those prisoners are sticking around? Zero. Zero. None of them. They're not sticking around. But there is something miraculous taking place. Guess what? Paul and Silas are praying. They're singing hymns. And what did I say? The prisoners are listening. God was working not only in the folks that already knew him to encourage them, but he's working through them for the people that did not know the Lord. I like that. <laughs> uh, it, it, listen, I tell you what, I, part of the reason I love this church, and I know the, the, yeah, calling it out, he's going to embarrass, but listen, part of the reason I love this church because we can just do that, and I mean that sincerely. Y'all hear me on this. If, if, if we did not, if we weren't friends, 
if we didn't love one another, if this wasn't a place where you can just be yourself, then that stuff would, we, I mean, you, you, oh, but it's okay. Except for Junior Carroll. Except for juniors. <laughs> Went off one Wednesday night, didn't it? It was his Kentucky fight song, and so we ain't doing that here, okay? <laughs> we ain't doing that at all. But the prisoners are listening, and they're changed by what's going on, and somehow they stick around. I don't know what Paul said to them. I don't know if they're just convicted by God, but they ain't leaving. Or if they're just freaked out, what on earth just happened? I don't know what to do. They stick around. Paul says to the jailer, stop, man. You don't have to do this. And the jailer rushes in and he said, how can I receive the salvation you've been talking about? He didn't even know what he was asking. But he had heard them talk about it. He had heard the accusations against them. Maybe he'd have a conversation here or there and what these guys are talking about. And then he hears them singing and praying and he sees what takes place and he says, I have to have whatever you have. What must I do to be saved? You know what Paul and Silas tell them? So they said, clean up your act and do a lot of good things and make sure that you pay this and this and this and give that. You know what they say? Ain't nothing for you to do. Do you know what they say? Believe, look at it in verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You know what it goes back to again? What do we always say? It's Jesus plus what? Nothing. There's nothing for you to do. There's nothing you can do. It is simply to receive God's grace through faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And that day, the Bible tells us that this man believes and then the word is spread to his household and they believe as well. And they're all baptized as a sign of their faith. And this guy is so changed that the guy who was meant to hold them in jail now takes care of their wounds and he cares for them and he helps them and and they talk all night long. And then it says the next morning that Paul and Silas were ordered to be released. And that's when they address the injustice. Every injustice is a gospel invitation. They were faced with the incredible injustice of being jailed. And so what do they do? They present the gospel to the jailer. (laughs) They start talking to him about Jesus. And then, then when the Roman authorities come and say, it's time to release these guys, hold on just a second. Did you know that we are Roman citizens? Which freaked everybody out, by the way, because you can't treat Roman citizens like that. So now the magistrates who had done all this stuff to Paul and Silas, they're in big trouble. And you know why Paul did that? It wasn't for his rights so that he might be protected from something. He did it to pave the way for the gospel. Listen, when it comes down to your rights and the rights that we have as Americans, if we are standing up only for my rights, then we have got it wrong. But if we are standing up for the rights that we have as believers in Christ, as citizens in this country, so that the gospel may not be hindered as it moves forward, then we're in the right. You dig what I'm saying? It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And we here as American Christians are now different and here to make sure that the way as best it can be is paved for the gospel to go forth. And that's what Paul's doing. He's not saying you guys better come and apologize to me because you hurt me. He's making sure that future Christians have an opportunity to share the gospel. And that's what he does in those closing verses. He didn't ask for any special favors, just that the gospel might have a chance. Had Paul fought every injustice, this gospel opportunity might have passed. So in closing, as you leave here today, it's time to enter what is your mission field. Churches years ago, Eddie Clyde and I have talked about this, churches years ago, on the door, and some of them still do, 
have a little sign that says you are now entering your mission field. And my prayer for you and for me and for us as a church is that that's how we'll look at it. Every single day. We gather here to be encouraged and to to learn and so on. We're scattered to go into the mission field. I pray that you'll view every encounter as a divine appointment. Every circumstance as a ministry invitation. And every injustice as a gospel opportunity because of your encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.